Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Everyone and welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me Radio's Nerdy Deep Dive. It is April 26, 2020. My name is Megan, and I am here with a very, very lovely co-host who has helped us out in the past in several episodes on the Mondays. Um, and I'm bringing her on because she um, has expertise when it comes to our main topic, which is the Avatar universe. So I'm going to bring her on. Um, she also shares my name, um, and it's Megan. Hello, Megan. Hello. Hello. There? I think that's the nicest you've ever been to me. <laughs> what can I say? It's Saturday. It's chill. I'm in a good mood, so I'm being super nice. <laughs> Hopefully it will um, But me and Megan, in preparation uh, for this show, we've watched all of The Last Airbender. We watched all of the Legend of Korra. Megan has pretty much read every single comic except for the graphic novels, right? Yeah, I haven't read the books, but the comics I have read all of. Yes, and I've read most of the comics. She beat me on that one, but I've read most of them, so I feel I still feel pretty good. But she's definitely edging me on the expertise. Um, so. I guess my first question for you, Megan, because I actually don't know if I know this answer, is when did you start watching Avatar? I honestly started watching Avatar when it was first coming out mm-hmm. um, on Nickelodeon. So I watched it as it was happening. I cannot say that I was a religious watcher of it. I don't know what day it came out. I'm assuming Friday because that's you know typical, but... I just watched it. Uh, just watched it when I could, but from the beginning when it was first coming out. Yeah, I I don't think I watched it when it was live on TV. I found it when I was in college of all times. Uh, it was my my freshman year of college, um, okay. and. I was given the DVD by someone, I think it was my cousin, um, who said that I would really like it based on the fact that like Harry Potter and and other things like Star Wars and things like that. And so I started watching it and I was like, man, I really like this. And then I really got into it, watched all of them. 
And then I started, I think I watched Legend of Korra live. But for some reason, Legend of Korra was a blur. Like, so when we were doing the rewatch, mm-hmm. I didn't remember most of it. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I stopped watching it because I got busy or what. But I'm glad that we watched it because it really reminded me of the reason why I love this show so much. And I think for me, one of the main reasons why I love the show is that it is such an expansive, beautiful world that takes from a lot of different places. And it's a pretty, pretty impressive world, too. Um, and I also think that the characters are also really memorable and quotable, which I think is really important for a, a really good show of this kind. What are some of the things yeah. that this show that you like so much? I think when it comes to anything, I'm very character driven. Um, even, you know, like even in my own writing, I just, I focus a lot on the characters and I think that I was also the same way in that, like, I was really excited when Cora was going to come out because I was a little bit older and I was going to be able to like follow it along, but I did not um, at that point in time either. But I think with the rewatch, it really did open that up to me again in terms of like how good these people are at creating characters that you might not love, but you respect as humans because they have the good things and they have the flaws and it's just well-rounded and they play off of each other. And 100% that's why I like it so much is just the dynamics of such good characters all being together. Exactly. And the dynamics between the characters is so funny and so real. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't ever like it, it's it's interesting, I think, because usually when you think of chemistry, you think of people working off of each other. But mm-hmm. this animated series has amazing chemistry amongst the characters with each other. Um, and I think that is, is probably one of the most fun things to watch. Now, the number one thing, whenever I say you need to watch Avatar, I, they go, you mean that James Cameron movie? And then I'm like, no, not that Avatar, which is really annoying. I wish they would have sued <laughs> yes. James Cameron because that really, like, yes. I, there's a reason I had to put Nickelodeon's Avatar universe because I knew that there was yeah. going to be some really confused people listening to this show. Um, but Completely different fan bases, too. <laughs> very different. Um, and then the second thing that people say is, it's an animated show for kids. Why do you like this so much? Yeah. So I'm wondering what your response would be to those individuals. I'm going to, I keep taking things that you've said and changing them a little bit, but you were talking about, you were told to like it because you like Harry Potter. I've actually mm-hmm. gotten that same response from people that I've told that they need to read the Harry Potter book. Um, yeah. And there's so much more to it than a kid. What is a kid show? You know what I'm saying? A kid show is just a show that they're not throwing a bunch of crap in that parents would get upset about their kids watching. And that doesn't mean that it can't be a story that adults Mm -hmm. see things in. It just means that, Oh, they're not having sex all the time or cursing every other (laughs) word or all of those things that like would make it an adult. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that's completely stupid to say that just because kids can watch it doesn't mean that adults can't get anything out of it either because it tackles things that are important to any stage of your life. 
for sure, and really and complex. I think that, yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, we just need to pay attention to that. I feel that way about Disney things sometimes, too. So I think all of that about children's show, but Avatar definitely didn't play kitschy like some children's shows can do. It was yes, just real. For sure. Yeah, I think I think the humor side of it, there's definitely some humorous episodes that you can see are catered to get the kids laughing, but it also made mm-hmm. me laugh, and it is it does capture a lot of really amazing themes, and we'll talk more about what those themes are, um, and some of them are really complex and super important, and the fact that they're that an eight-year-old and a thirty-year-old can watch a show that is talking about imperialism. <laughs> It's pretty interesting in itself. So I, I, I think people need to open and widen their, their views. There isn't such thing as kid grown up because we are millennials and adulting is a thing. And sometimes kid shows are just fun. And there's adulting. I will throw in here, though. I, I will throw in that I honestly think Cora is more for older people. Agreed. Which I think was yes. intentional because they were keeping up with the original fan base. But I think that's why I didn't yes. pay as much attention to it either because it was a lot more intense in time mm-hmm. than the original Avatar series was. So that's it another thing that I would throw at them. <laughs> the last Airbender, I always knew that it would end up okay. With The Legend of Korra, there are many, many episodes where I'm like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah, you said that a thousand times. So, uh, we are going to talk about all the aspects of the show. So, we're going to do Last Airbenders, we're, gonna, we're talking Korra, we're going to talk about the comics even, um, and then we'll kind of just talk about all three, like the entire world as a, a whole. And we did get a couple questions from listeners that we will also address at the end. So, are you ready to dive into the Last Airbender series? I am ready to dive. Okay, so... When I was thinking about the themes that were addressed in the last Airbender series, there's obviously power dynamics um, mm-hmm. that are explored. Identity is definitely huge, especially with Prince Zuko's um, journey. It's a, it's a journey of identity of who you are and where you want to go and what's important to you. And like I think his character is too. Yeah, um, choice making choices, the good versus evil, which is apparent. It's in every child story. It's in every story, child or adult, actually. Um, There's also some imperialism. It also tackles sexism, which is um, in several episodes. Um, So lots of really, really big themes in this series um, all together. So what are your favorite things about The Last Airbender? The Last Airbender, a little bit better than Korra, made lovable characters. Characters that, like, you want to hug. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I love the characters in Korra as well, but I think in the original The Last Airbender series, from the very beginning, you just mm-hmm. wanted to hug everybody. And not to, I'm not a hugger, so that's not maybe the best way for me to explain it. But I think I kind of shows how good the characters were. Characters. <laughs> yeah, sure. I want to hug people, so of course they're great characters. <laughs> you guys definitely will. Yeah, and I think in terms of the comparison with Korra and Last Airbender, Korra, I think, 
suffers from too many characters. It's mm-hmm. just a really big world. And because mm-hmm. it's a really big world, you can like so many characters, but they might not seem as personal. Whereas The Last yeah. Airbenders, you are following the same core group of kids who are yeah, trying three, four, five to people. Try. And yeah. so it, it feels like more of an intimate story. Um, and the world gets bigger with every season, but mm-hmm. it's the same core group that follows um, the entire time. It doesn't get too big, as big as at least Korra. So I agree. The characters are, are great and they're memorable. Um, and it's also the, the, the series that introduces you to this world in which there are some people who are given special gifts that can either bend one of the four elements. And then you have this avatar character who follows the life cycle and gets reborn as a different human being when that cycle ends, who can master all four of these elements. And so it really gets you into the world. And as you find out about the new creatures and the different cities, you kind of follow it and the world starts to get built right in front of your eyes. And I think that is a really cool thing to see and to witness as well. And I think that's also what makes this show super interesting is just seeing how that world yeah. works. I will say too, as far as the hook goes, Avatar The Last Airbender's intro, best best intro to hook you in in any show, honestly. It is. It also feels really like an old excited story. about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, just sit down, children, around, sit down around the campfire, and I'm going to tell you the story. It, it's like, even the beginning is very intimate as well, um, as the world starts to get. So we've, we both mentioned dynamics and the humor and these really memorable characters that you, a non-huggy person, wants to hug. So yeah, Not all of them. Which... <laughs> That's true. Some you don't want to hug. Um, <laughs> what are the two characters that really speak to you okay so i want to okay i'm gonna start here Sokka is one of my favorites and he's been one of my favorites since the very beginning i have always really loved Sokka. um and then the second one that i want to mention is zuko and i would say at this point zuko would take over Sokka. but i feel like <laughs> i only really started to understand my love of Zuko with this rewatch. I always liked him. But with this rewatch, I don't know. As an older person, I guess, I didn't hate Zuko as much as I was supposed to in the very beginning. And it just opened him up to just, I mean, his, I could have a whole deep dive about Zuko as a character. But anyway, it just really opened him up as a character for me with this complete rewatch and all of that. And so I would say Zuko first. But also Sokka, because, I mean, you can't not love Sokka. Yeah, no, Sokka is definitely my favorite. He also fits my typical MO of a favorite character. Um, yeah. He's he is really interesting in that he's in this group in which people can bend. They have special powers and special abilities. And Sokka does not have any special abilities. And how he navigates that and he, how he uses humor and strategy and creative thinking <laughs> um, to be able to fight in battles 
and not seem slow or not seem like they're he's the one dragging them down, I think is a testament to yeah. who, who he is as a character. Because he's, I don't he's, even he's, go he's, so... Go ahead. Go ahead. I just think that he... I never, ever thought to myself that he's a burden. And That's in fact, exactly some of the what benders, I was going to say. Some of the benders, I, I have had moments where I'm like, you're a burden, stop it. <laughs> like, yeah. He, That's exactly what help. I was going to say. I've never felt bad for Sokka being a part of this group. And a lot of times, if you have a character who isn't quote-unquote special like the others, you're always mm-hmm. going to feel bad for them. And for I sure. never felt bad for Sokka. No, because he's he really is the brain. He, he he's the strategy mind. He's the heart of the group. To be honest, um, he's definitely the he he plays so many important roles for the group dynamic. Um, and he knows that he, about himself. He doesn't pretend yeah. to. He doesn't pity himself. Mm-mm. And he has a great sense of humor, which is really important when you're around serious-minded people or you're dealing with something super serious to have someone who can make it a funny moment. Um, and then my other favorite character is Uncle Iroh. Mm-hmm. I just love him. <laughs> I love him because he reminds me, in terms of like philosophy, the way that he looks at the world reminds me of some of my favorite philosophers. Um, He's a very cool individual. Um, He's such a good uncle, father figure for Zuko. And he's just an incredibly wise, balanced person that I feel like I learned a lot from Iroh. And I was in college. I wasn't watching this as a kid, but I remember being in college being like, he's so wise. (laughs) I should listen to this. Like applying it to my own life. I feel like Iroh raised a lot of young adults slash kids with his ability to turn a phrase and also never forget what's important in life, which I think is something that we all sometimes lose when we're in the pursuit of something. We lose track of what's most important. I also love hot tea. So I'm going to give that to Iroh too, because (laughs) he, how can you not love hot tea after hearing Iroh talk about it for three seasons? It's true. You do have a, a grand appreciation for tea. In fact, you can buy a tea mug with all his philosophical quotes if you want to. <laughs> Keep seeing it on my face. Um, how about least favorite? So the ones I don't want to hug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say that I complained the most about Momo, but that's completely stupid because he's not supposed to be a main character. He's literally a little animal companion traveling with the group. But I swear he was no help ever and actually was a hindrance a lot. And he, he was, was pointless he was. and it just made me angry. It was pointless. I just feel like the whole thing would have been better if they just wouldn't even have had him. But besides that, <laughs> I also have to talk about the two, I mean, main characters. I'm not the biggest fan of Aang or Katara. Yeah, I have to agree with you on Aang. I, Aang is probably my least favorite character, and I think the reason why is well, I typically am not the the number like the main character of anything doesn't tend to be my favorite character, and there's reasons for that. The main character is the one with the burden on their shoulders, so they have to take things mm-hmm. a little bit more serious. 
um, and, and just to follow the arc of how storytelling is developed. Their personalities have to be a certain way in order for it to work. Yeah. And Aang, to me, though, compared to, like, even Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker, he was this weird mixture of, like, taking himself way too serious and not taking anything serious. And I never knew what to do with that. Because, like, he's either writing seals or he's mm-hmm. trying to control things that he can't control. Or he's stuck on yeah. something. And he's, like, feeling sorry for himself. But then he's writing seals again. And so I think the Could dynamic... Be fair between... to Aang. Yeah. He is only 12. So... So I understand him in terms of the childish side of him. He's 12. And also the yeah. adultish side of him is that, like, he does have this big burden placed on his 12-year-old shoulders. And so I understand his going back and forth, but that does not mean that I disagree with you that it's super annoying because I totally agree <laughs> with you that it's super annoying. But that's because the awesome even thing if... about it. True. Because it, it, I, it, it, I never not liked Aang because it was unrealistic. Because it, the circumstances definitely, that makes sense. And also yeah. the, you know, like the, the air nomad culture and all the things, like it all makes sense. But mm-hmm. going back and forth between those two things, definitely for me as a, as a viewer, was annoying. For sure. That's um, so cool. I mean, going back to why we like it so much in the characters and everything. The fact that he can both be on our least favorite list, and yet I still defended him, <laughs> is because crazy. And that's capable. what I'm saying. Yeah. Nobody's terrible, well, and it is not – yeah, and I feel like these characters don't suffer from things that some characters do, in which case they have, like, a flaw or a terrible trait, or they do something bad, and it makes no sense. I can explain to you exactly why the people are doing what they're doing, even if I don't agree with them and I think they're being stupid. I know why. And that's a big thing for me. For sure. There is a lot of psychology, I feel like, that was really thought out in all of the characters. Um, All right. So, and part of that is kind of shown in the character development. And there are two that both me and Megan have talked about quite extensively in terms of character development that I think is worthy of praise would have to be, um, I'll start off with Prince Zuko because he starts off as the villain of the story, the person who is chasing the avatar and that is very dogmatic and single-minded in his pursuit because he thinks that the avatar is the number one way that he can get in back in good grace with his father who banished him for um, standing up um, for something that he felt was, was right that his father was doing that was wrong. Um, and he goes back and forth. Like I get sometimes in stories when you have a character arc where you're going from a bad place to a good place, they regress, but it feels annoying. Mm-hmm. With Zuko, I feel like he gro- he he grows, and then he does have a moment of pulling back, which is when he turns against his uncle mm-hmm. at that one particular time. And then he grows extensively 
and you can just see him deal with the demons, the pressures that he puts on himself, his confusion, um, because he has a lot of messaging, and his family life is also incredibly complicated. And he turns into this incredibly brave leader who is strong and super talented and super powerful and super loyal um, and just really thoughtful in the decisions that he makes and how he treats people and how he moves forward with his life. And I think his progression is not only the best character development for this show, I honestly think it's probably one of the best character arcs ever written in terms of a character redemption story. I would also like to preface and say that I am not a crier, but just <laughs> listening to you gas Zuko up made me want to cry. I just I feel that exact same way about him, and I think that leading into our next character, I think that he could not have become what he became without his uncle Iroh. And mm-hmm. this is an interesting one. And I'm not sure if people would normally pick Iroh to go under, you know, best character development, because to be fair, his character development was not within the timeline of the actual series. His character development was in the flashbacks that we saw. So from the beginning to the end, Iroh was Iroh. He was unapologetically himself. But it wasn't like that. He went through a lot. Um, he was intended to be the Fire Lord, so the leader of the entire Fire Nation, because Zuko's father was younger than him. Um, but then, and he was like the greatest war leader the Fire Nation had ever seen. He was called the Dragon of the West. Everyone talked about how awesome Iroh was as a leader of the Fire Nation and as a leader of the Fire Nation army. Um, and then he loses his son. And it started changing things for him to the point where he went, you know, from this great thing to where his father took away his birthright and gave it to the younger one. Um, And then he dealt with, you know, not only losing his son, but losing everything that like he had planned on in his life. And he came back and he saw what his nephew was going through and he adjusted his whole life again to take care of his nephew after Zuko was, banished um Mm -hmm. and at the end you know he's in the earth kingdom in the city that he spent years of his military career trying to destroy (laughs) just putting a little selling teeth and i just i yeah i think it's crazy that he went from someone who was like the heart and hope of the fire nation and pride and joy of the fire nation to someone who was in an Earth Kingdom city running a tea shop. That character development, whether you want to admit it or not, things changed no, a lot for sure. Iroh. And because of that, he was able to impart wisdom on Zuko and even Toph. He had a real big impact on Toph and just different characters. And I just think without sure. his development, there were other things that wouldn't have developed. True. And also a huge impact on me, too. You know, not to be selfish. but Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. But no, he is, I think those two, for sure, really good character arcs. I want to say, uh, but, while we're doing this, 
But it does annoy me that it's the two Fire Nation people that we talk about because yes. it does kind of make it seem like it's only the Fire Nation people that need to develop. So I want to put that out there, that that is annoying. However, they had such good storylines that I can't be that annoyed at it. No, they were such I just wish some of the other ones would have developed. And for, like, Aang, like, he had a character arc, obviously, because he needed to accept responsibility for the thing that he had to do, which is to kill Fire Lord Ozai or to destroy him or to remove him from... Yeah. Yeah. Um, as soon as I said that, like he had to go through what he was going to do with this person that he knew that he had to deal with at the end of the series. His personality, mm-hmm. though, didn't change too much. Um, no, or his outlook on li- I mean, I don't really even like his outlook on life changed that much. But also at the same time, you can also understand it. He's the last of his his kind. And so to, to change feels like he's giving something up. And so he has to adjust mm-hmm. to it. And that might be super annoying to me because I am someone who likes to embrace the new and progress and like not necessarily like learn from the past, learn from things, learn from cultures, but I don't necessarily want to like stay in it. So like, yeah, that might be really annoying to me, but I don't know how it feels to be the last of anyone either. So like, I understand it at the same time. Well, yes, it definitely seems like the fire nation had the most transformation for sure. (laughs) Um, what are, uh, what is one of your favorite storylines from the show? So I've talked about it a little bit already, but Sokka and dealing with his non-benderness. So like, (laughs) I don't think that he ever, I mean, little pieces maybe, but overall, I don't feel like he was ever super down on himself for not being a bender. Um, but he did want to be able to pull his weight and so there are two episodes in particular that I'm thinking about one of them very early on when he is with the Kyoshi warriors which playing into sexism the Kyoshi warriors are women and he didn't think at first that he could learn anything from them but by the end of the episode he's in full garb and has learned so much from them yeah. Um, and then the other episode is in the last season, and he spends the whole episode like trying to master his sword play abilities. I think and it's one of my really favorite interesting storylines. It, it is a great episode, and I just love Sokka becoming more of himself too, and that they didn't overlook him because there's tons mm-hmm. of stuff about you know the other benders becoming better benders and mastering the elements and all this stuff, but Sokka's seemed much more humble mm-hmm. and just him just knowing he needed to do something and going out there and doing it because he knew it was important and I just that was one of my favorites for sure another one of my favorites is is the introduction of Toph as a character into the group because the first season is a really good season to set things up but the dynamic between Sokka, Katara and Aang doesn't really capture all personalities. Like something was missing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when Toph was introduced, I feel like she is such a different character because she's she's not as delicate as Katara, not as diplomatic as Katara. Um, no. Not as um, kind of hopeful as Sokka because Sokka has like the innovative thinking and the, you know, like kind of, projecting into the future kind of this is how things are supposed to be or the idealism 
um, of Aang. And so she just comes in and teaches Aang something super important, which is groundedness, which is such a hard thing for air nomads to have. Um, and yeah. just is the foil for all three of them in many ways. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I just think that she was a really good, interesting addition to the show. And that arc, I yeah. feel like, begins to really pick up. And then, of course, when Zuko joins it, it even gets even better and even stronger. Um, but yeah. I think Toph's existence and her philosophy of bending was a great storyline for the entire show. Any growth that the main characters made, I feel like, was precipitated by Toph joining the group. Agreed. I feel like they all did learn something from her. Um, for sure. Also, going into my next favorite thing, the third season, they actually made it into the Fire Nation. And I am notorious for always um, empathizing with the bad guys. I am a Slytherin. I am a member of the Fire Nation, and the Fire Nation people are my favorite. Um, But I always get angry at stories because it's just like, this is bad, this is good. And there's not always a connection between them, and there really is in real life. Um, So Mm -hmm. watching them go into the Fire Nation, especially I'm thinking of one episode where Aang goes to a Fire Nation school and is seeing what's being taught to the children and how, like, the children are actually being molded to become you know, the Fire Nation soldiers of the future versus just everybody in the Fire Nation is evil. And then also seeing yeah. some of the good sides of the Fire Nation as well and the past experiences that Aang had before he was in the iceberg for 100 years and how he actually <laughs> had friends in the Fire Nation and just seeing the good side of it and not seeing like, oh, they're a Fire Nation person. They're an ash maker. They're a villainous murderer. Um, I yeah. enjoyed that. <laughs> Yeah, no, any time where things become more complex, because most things aren't black and white, most things are not evil or good. Um, right. Anything that makes it more complex and more human is better. So I really like that episode, too. I also really liked, because it's so easy to have this idea that fire is bad, water is good. And I think mm-hmm. even right now, if you were to ask people what is the most nurturing of the four elements. I think most people would say water, uh, even not knowing about the Avatar world, that the introduction of bloodbending as a sub bender, like talent for waterbenders introduces this nefarious element of how waterbending can turn incredibly evil. Like way, like to the to the point of, like, you're controlling people. And you can literally yeah. kill people in the most grotesque ways. Um, it's, yeah, and so, it's worse than even burning someone, but it's fine. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's, so that was also a super interesting twist, too, that I, I really enjoyed the, the bending episode because it creeps me out so badly. Mm-hmm. Were there any storylines that you felt like you were super disappointed by? I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even, I don't, I don't know where to start. Okay. Um, I I'm know just going to start with, you, go first. you can go first because that's 
where we probably should start because it's the most annoying, but it's just annoying to even think about it. I really don't like, and I am talking very loudly and clearly so that everyone can hear me. (laughs) I really don't like Aang and Katara being a couple. It is weird on multiple levels. First of all, yes, he's 12, she's older, he's a child, but at the same time, he's also older. So it's like, it's weird on multiple levels. She's not even that much older. She's only 14. Still, Still, it's weird. Also, I think that their personalities are way too similar in the worst ways. They're both really stubborn. They're very traditional, narrow-minded in the way that they look at the world, which some people might be like, well, that's great for raising kids, but it's also not good for growth. So it's actually, and, you know, just alluding to Legend of Korra, it's actually not that great for raising kids, apparently. Because <laughs> they had so, messes yeah. of children. <laughs> they do. They do. And I think it was a boy crush, which does happen. But it didn't need to be the end-all, be-all of all things. And then they finally get together, and they cannot say each other's names. They have to say sweetie, which is another sign of an immature love. Because just I, because you're in love, you stop being Aang and you stop being Katara. Sorry. Okay, and I'm going to just put this here. I'm just, I'm just going to say it, because you led it into it perfectly by saying that it was just like a boy crush. And I think it would have been such a better storyline. And I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. It would have been such a better storyline for Aang to have a crush on Katara, but then Katara to end up with Zuko. I'm a Zutara shipper. I'm sorry. I'm actually not that sorry. 100% Zutara should have happened. Zutara is a much better relationship than Aang and Katara. And I just... It's not against us. It's very upsetting to me. Very upsetting to me that she got Aang instead of Zuko because she would have been better with Zuko, and it's just it's it's, it's not fine. For sure. So I'll just and the subject. I'm too heated up. For sure. I I'll, I I agree with you about Zuko and Katara because that third season, that the, the the dynamics between them were really fun to watch. Now for anyone, oh I can hear this already. I can totally hear this already. That is like, I can hear some people going, that is like shipping Draco and Hermione. But it's not. The reason why it's not is because we saw Zuko and Katara become friends. We saw them, their dynamics change. Draco and Hermione, no. Anyway. There were never, I never understood Draco and Hermione. There were never moments of like in the books or anything, me being like, oh man, that's a moment. Zuko and Katara had moments. They and did. They totally they did. bonded because both of their mothers. Yes. They just had parallel storylines as well where they could have bonded over things. And okay, I'm just, I'm not even going to talk about it anymore. I'm going to move on to my and... next annoying thing. <laughs> For the sake of Megan, we're moving on. Uh, my next annoying thing, Zutara will probably come up again, let's be honest. Okay, my next annoying thing. Um, the whole Bossing Say storyline, once they get into Bossing Say and there's like all the different circles of people like the poor people then the medium people and then the really rich people um and the whole storyline of the earth king doesn't know anything about the war that's been going on for a hundred years because his advisors have been keeping it from him and then they're brainwashing people and i don't it just it didn't really feel like it belonged to me 
And it was just yeah. weird. It was just weird. It it definitely introduces a, a, a dynamic that is very, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you, but I think it, also it came out of that left field. It was because it was, it was basically a one episode thing. Um, no, 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 it wasn't. It, just, it was several. It was a few. Um, I want to say at least three, but I don't know. But yeah, but it, no, was, it, definitely it was weird. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All that craziness. Okay. Yeah. Um, So that was the last airbender. So we're moving on towards Legend of Korra. Uh, Now, Legend of Korra also shares some similar um, themes as the last airbender. I would say power dynamics are still very, very much a theme. Identity is still a theme. Choice is a theme. I think equality becomes a uh, a new one that's introduced. So what does equality look like? How can you mm-hmm. be equal when people have differing abilities? Um, and the complications of being a more global world than they were before. Uh, whereas like and politics, as politics, all that good complicated stuff. Now we've already kind of talked about that there are some differences between Le- Legend of Korra and Last Airbender. Uh, I would say Last Airbender, I wouldn't say it's a kid show because I think that there's a lot of adult themes in that show, but it definitely is more of that level compared to Legend of Korra because Legend of Korra seems more high stakes. Um, It seems it it tackles a lot more dark things. The villains are all out. Um, Whereas like Fire Lord Ozai is kind of comical like like an over comical evil genius kind of a character. Um yeah. Legend of Korra is more like real life villain villains that you would see in our history books. They're more gritty, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, real. What are some fair? Yeah. yeah. Um so what are your favorite things about Legend of Korra? My favorite thing about Legend of Korra is that it took what we loved about avatars and just the whole series, but it made it more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I saw myself in more of the Legend of Korra characters, especially with the rewatch, watching it now, which I think is why I yeah. did not like it as much as a kid. But now I see more of myself and I see more of like, for one, our world. Um, yeah. And just, just talking about that, it definitely matured it. And I think that that's, I really enjoyed that about it because I was found myself annoyed a lot watching Avatar The Last Airbender and Megan can vouch for this. I yelled at them a lot. I was mothering them a lot in a very forceful (laughs) mothering way, I guess. (laughs) But I I did not feel as annoyed with the characters in Korra because once again, even if I didn't agree with them, totally understood it on even like a more personal level. And so mm-hmm. that's what I really liked about where they took it. For sure. Like the, the, the mature themes, the complexities of it, how there could be more than one right answer. It definitely explores that in Legend of Korra. There's not a, yeah. a right thing to do. And I think it also plays mm-hmm. into the fact that in, in The Last Airbender, there really was just the the one villain. There was definitely sub-villains that made things harder right. on Aang. But there was one 
clear target, which is Fire Lord Ozai, who has been dominating the the world and taking over and being that big imperial power and bully and narcissist. Whereas with Legend of Korra, she faces four distinct villains, but they are all connected. So like the first villain um, causes a problem. She fixes that. And then from that problem, another problem arises and she fixes that. And then from that, the same thing keeps going four times for the four seasons. This is, and I think it shows how it's, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's, exact, that's actually what people complain about with Korra versus Avatar. But I like that. It's so realistic because, I mean, that is, that is the burden of being a leader. Whether it's a leader of an organization or a leader of a nation or a leader of the world or being the Avatar where you're the person who's in charge of the balance of the entire world spirit and human is that your problems are never done and once you think that you fix something there's unforeseen consequences that need to be cleaned up and to be honest a lot of legend of Korra issues are the unforeseen consequences of the last airbender and the things and the decisions that were made among the leaders and the fact that Aang did defeat fire lord ozai and how you know We've never lived in a world in which we could go home and be like, oh, all of our problems are solved. It has yet to happen. It will never right. happen. Because and they do people ex- have different stakeholders. Yeah, they explore that a little bit with Aang going into the comics. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be upfront and tell you that not every fan is going to read comics. They're basing things off of what they watch a lot of times. And so I think it's good that Cora put it in there. Yeah, for sure. This is not a side thought. It's just, it's, it's just a more realistic. It's not the cleaner story, for sure. Mm-hmm. It would be nice you know, like, to have, like, oh, you defeated this. Now we have a completely new problem. But it's a... Yeah. It's, it is a more realistic thing that, that most of us witness every single day on the news, every single day as a, as a person who has to make decisions that will impact people's lives. Not everyone will benefit from anything. So right. that's why I really like it. Um, for favorite characters, now we mentioned that there are so many characters in The Legend of Korra. And I like pretty much most of them, I would say. Um, but what list. are I, I'm going to put that I, out there. It was a long list that Megan had of her favorite characters. It's so um, hard. But, again, my fav- but, I, but I would argue that because there's so many characters, it's really hard to have like a heart favorite. Yeah. So well, what did I you mean, say though? I kind of agree with you, except that I do have a pretty hard favorite <laughs> and my hard favorite is Janora. Um, I feel like Janora... At the age that Aang was, actually, to be entirely fair, was way better of an airbender and just overall person <laughs> than Aang was. So it was, I guess, I didn't just like her for that, but I liked seeing the things that Aang really held important to himself being used a little bit differently with Zenora in a way that wasn't annoying like she saved their butts a lot of times 
For she sure. was super mature for her age and just a super awesome person. So hard favorite, Janora. I Every time Janora came on when there was something going bad, I was like, oh, well, it's fine. Janora's here. Um, She's got it. And then <laughs> my two honorable mentions, I love Mako. Probably love Mako because she's basically Zuko once Zuko matured. <laughs> and then I also have to say Julie because... She started out as nothing. She started out actually as a joke, to be quite honest. And then her development over these series, and man, at the end when she just straight up gave it to Varric, I was cheering for her in the comics. I'm just skipping ahead, but in the comics, she even ends up becoming president. She's just an awesome, mm-hmm. awesome woman. And I just, I, I loved her. She was definitely a surprise, a good surprise, a really good surprise. Um, For for me, I would also say Janora. I think Janora is super smart. She's super sweet. Um, I think she has a really good head on her shoulder. She's very, like, she has a lot of wisdom for her age Mm -hmm. and a lot of clarity and openness about her. She kind of reminds me of a more level-headed Luna Lovegood. Um, okay. Yeah. And I really like that. I think the two like sisters together would be Luna. Yeah. I think if you put Janora um, with her sisters, they would be Luna. For sure. Um, so I, I, I think that's really why I like her so much. And then I also like Mako, and I also like Bolin. Um, although he has definitely some judgment issues later on in the season, which we'll talk about more later. Um, but I, I think I just really like the Mako and Bolin brother relationships. That's why I felt weird to not include one of them because I think some of my favorite I, scenes is them together. Yeah. I didn't put them as my storyline, but Mako and Bolin, great storyline. I wish that we would have learned more about them. But agreed in their past. For sure. How about least favorite? Okay, this one is going to get controversial, so I'll start with the least controversial answer, which is the twins of the Northern Water Tribe. Yes, they were funny. Yes, Aubrey Plaza is sometimes funny. But yes, you always know it's Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) It's just the same. And after it was funny, it was just annoying every time they were on because it was, they were a character versus an actual person. As far as, like, actual characters, which we talked about was an awesome thing in these shows, I would say the twins probably were the least developed. Yeah, they were, they were definitely a caricature, I feel like. They were a... They were meant to be a punchline. For sure. And so I did not like them. But I also was not the biggest fan of Lynn. And Lynn is awesome in a lot of ways. She is a badass. And I feel like... Totally. But she also held on to a lot of crap that honestly, even when it was explained, I didn't understand why it affected her so badly. Um, she was just very, I'm going to say immature. She was a very immature person. And I got annoyed yes. with a lot of her life choices. Therefore, she, she definitely, she's one of my least favorites. Definitely holds a lot of grudges, a lot of resentment, and definitely has a wall around her. Uh, yeah. As a defense mechanism to all of those things, for sure. Yeah. Um, what about you? I do for all that because I think she's badass. Um, <laughs> for me, it would be Boomy. 
And I think it's for the same reasons that you don't like the twins, just in a different way. I would, yeah, yeah. I just think he was a middle-aged hyper version, like the hyper side of Aang in a middle-aged man. And I just yeah. didn't like it. <laughs> and I just thought he was super annoying most of the time. Um, he did have a couple fair, of, like, like I said. Yeah, he did have some good moments, but all three of their kids, Kaya probably the least, but all three mm-hmm. of their kids, super messed up. And super messed up in the same reasons that I feel like Aang and Katara were, even Toph, with her children. Yeah. They were all messed up in the same way their parents was. And this is what I'm trying to say, guys. This is why we needed them to also character develop and not just the Fire Nation, because then they just passed on their crap to their kids, and they didn't get over it either. As far as I know about them, they seem to be the most adjusted. Um, yeah. But And also, a boom dupe, it's only because Megan started calling me that, and I have now a newfound <laughs> resentment. So, who's that boom yeah. yeah. He's collateral damage of yours. Shenanigans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Boom Doo. He was great. He was way better than Momo. <laughs> I don't argue against that. Um, <laughs> all right. Now, we talked about it at the beginning of when we started talking about Legend of Korra. What is different about Legend of Korra is that there were four main villains. There are sub-villains as well, besides the four main. But there's four main ones. Um, so you have in the first season Zaheer. I'm not supposed to say Zaheer. Amon. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, Amon, which uh, creates a secret society uh, where non-benders need to take back their rights against the benders, um, which creates a really interesting dynamic and a really good story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there. Uh, so, what did you think of Amon? I did enjoy Amon, and I enjoyed bloodbending becoming more of a thing. Overarchingly, a lot of the villains were Water Nation, um, Water Tribe, and I super enjoyed that. And he was, yeah, I super enjoyed it. I liked Amon. I mean, I didn't like Amon. But it was an interesting storyline, and a storyline that's totally legitimate because in a world where not everybody has special powers, there are dynamics just like, you know, X-Men, things like that. And that was really cool. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing to explore. And then the next villain of the story um, is Korra's uncle. How do you, say, how do you pronounce the name? Luna Locke. Um, and... Cora messes things up because she trusts her uncle and reopens the spirit portal. And really, he's kind of... Very bad. Yeah. He's really the, like, the villain that's in place so that we can learn this bigger story about the universe, um, about the mm-hmm. first Avatar and how Avatar even got started. How did this person who can bend all the elements even develop? Um, and the story of Raza and Vatu um, fighting and the balance between good and evil. Um, which was a really cool story. I really enjoyed learning about that backstory. And then there was Zaheer, mm-hmm. uh, which I think had the most psychological damage <laughs> um, when it came to Korra and the aftermath of dealing with him in particular. 
Um, and I think that's so, because he was, out of all of them, I think Zaheer had the most point. Mm-hmm. I think I could have agreed with Zaheer for way longer than any of the other ones. And then, I mean, obviously he took it too far in a lot of ways, but I feel like his overall point was what we're all striving for, which was equality for everyone, benders, non-benders, spirits. He wanted everyone to be on open foot, on equal footing, and totally 100%, Mm -hmm. that's what you want in an ideal world. But it's not going to happen. So I think that's why he messed up Korra's mind, too, is because Korra, that's also what she's wanting, especially as the Avatar. Mm-hmm. And Zaheer, just to give a little bit more background, is someone that the main characters of The Last Airbender put away, the adults in the life put away, because um, he was a dangerous individual. Um, and he was given airbender powers, because of the conclusion that Korra had to do um, at the end of the second season with Rava and Batu in the battle between the spirit world. Um, and then from there, Kavira becomes the new villain who becomes the military dictator. And she was an important part in getting Zaheer and his comrades rearrested and, and stopped and was given freedom to start going place to place to get it back on track. Um, and then she took that freedom, that power that was given to her to help and seized it for herself um, and then became a, a military dictator, which does happen in real life and real history. Uh, so which one do, did you really like the most? I think, you, I think you spoke more about Zaheer. Yeah, I mean, quick favorite Zaheer, quick least favorite Unalak. Even in this own the series itself, Unalak becomes a joke. But yeah, yeah, Zaheer. Like I said, I could just I I think that I could have been more on board with Zaheer for a longer period of time than any of the other ones. I agree with you, and he's so interesting because he he wasn't a natural airbender he was given that then he starts to really adopt the airbender philosophy and mentality he really Mm -hmm. starts to learn it and trust in it and he takes such a weird like a, a a different take on airbending philosophy which is usually peace loving accepting there shouldn't be no rules you shouldn't be attached to things freedom like that kind of messaging like I am an airbender like I'm deaf I've always tested as an airbender it's very Sagittarius in in atmosphere but he takes it to the point of like socialism to the point of like the really the bad kind of socialism which is an anarchy which is that people shouldn't be ruled at all and does really bad things in the pursuit of that. And then once anarchy exists, we see that it's not a good thing for anyone. That having a hundred percent freedom is not actually a a good thing. So I think he's an interesting, just because of the philosophy, but also how much he gets into Katara's head, I think is also super interesting. Because I really like, when main characters, when heroes struggle. 
I also think it's really cool, and I want to just mention this before I move on, that he was thrown into this prison, and his, the people that were also thrown into other prisons were outrageous benders, to be fair. But he was not a bender. So he was put in prison by all of these people because he was so dangerous while not being a bender. So I just, that brings up the whole equality thing again. But the second thing yeah. I want to point out is the villains, waterbender, waterbender, <laughs> airbender, earthbender. And so I'm just, I'm really appreciative of Cora for doing that. And I want to throw it out there because I feel like, especially in the Harry Potter world, we just get slither and slither and slither and slither and slither and just shoved down for our sure. throats. And I'm just so glad that Avatar did not do that and just shove Fire Nation down our throats as evil. For sure. All the elements have potential to kill. All the elements have potential to heal. So mm-hmm. it, it's, I'm glad that they didn't do that either. Um, what are some of your favorite storylines? Oh, my gosh. In the very beginning, we are introduced to a game called Pro Bending. And it's basically teams of three, a waterbender, a firebender, an earthbender, and there's a whole stage, I mean, I guess field, arena, arena, that's the word, a whole arena, there's all these rules. I mean, honestly, maybe more interesting than even Quidditch, but same concept, this whole other sport thing that we're getting introduced to, and dude, (laughs) it's so awesome. It is. It's It's fun to watch, and it's creative, and it's just a really good, I wish it existed. It was pretty much first season and then they didn't do a whole lot with pro bending anymore and I was a little sad yeah um, another favorite thing for me is that Zuko didn't go anywhere Zuko is still around and he um, continues to be a wisdomist and according to Google documents that is a word a wisdomist leader um, to help out and also Uncle Iroh is also still around in the spirit world giving insights and advice to people as well. So I I like the fact that the two people that we said had the greatest character arc are still around supporting everyone else's character arcs. Yes. I mean, shout out to Katara and Toph. They also made an appearance, but not as meaningful. (laughs) Toph may be a little bit more than Katara. To be fair, yes. I also really liked, like you said, there was a moment where people were just suddenly given Airbender powers, even though Aang was the last one, and so his descendants were the only ones that had it. There were like four total. And then all of a sudden, Korra opened up the spirit world, and more people were given that ability. But there was... Uh, an interesting storyline where Tenzin, Aang's son, is trying to get them to become like air nomads he was taught, following Aang's philosophy for air nomads and exactly what the air nomads were. But those people weren't willing to do that. And so it changed the air nation. And I think that was one of the big things that bothered, and you said it too, bothered us about Aang is that Aang couldn't change. And it was kind of forced finally. And it was like sweet relief. It was wonderful. And that's the, I mean, that's always the debate, the, the traditions versus embracing 
new identities that sometimes it feels like the new identity lets go of the old, but you can put the old into the new and create something mm-hmm. even more special. And I also really like that because it's not sustainable. Like I might be housed in the air nomad category every single time I take the test, but there's no way I could be a vegetarian. <laughs> right. It's not going to happen for me. So it's like, I would have to be cut off from, from who I am because I can't follow that one thing. How about least favorite storyline? One of my least favorite storylines was um, Mako. And he was a romantic interest for both of the main girl characters. And it, that was the only time I was ever annoyed with Mako. He was dating both of them, and then he went back and forth, and then he was dating both of them. It was just really confusing, and I'm just not here for the relationship drama, and I didn't need it. Agreed. Um, I also didn't like Bolin um, gets caught up. He's helping Kavera at the, because, again, Kavera was a good guy. She helped, um, she helped the Avatar defeat a threat. But then she herself starts to become the threat by being really militant, bullying people, and Bolin is there to help, and he's not seeing that this is happening. And then when other people start to see it and bring it to his attention, he's like, no, that's not happening. And then he himself becomes a victim of this dictatorship. And it was very hard for me to forgive him because the audience knew what was going on before he did. So it wasn't like also, there was there wasn't like the audience members were like I'm so con- I'm so confused about this person what this person is doing. So it was just very hard to reconcile that. And which is he like, had, yeah, we didn't even see much more than what he was seeing, and he should have saw more because he was with her for so long. So it yeah. wasn't even like it was over his head. It was literally he was ignoring it, in my opinion. Agreed. It was, it was so, denial. Yes. Yes. And it was either denial or it was a plot hole <laughs> that wasn't. Or he's really dumb. I mean, he doesn't so see like, that way all the time. So the three options just weren't great. So I had like I was in so much cognitive dissonance because I was like, oh, I love you, Bolin, but also like, man. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why he didn't make it to my top list. Yeah, so I think creatively that was a problematic choice. I think. Yes. Last annoying thing in Legend of Korra would be the fact that, okay, we've mentioned Toph. Toph shows up. Toph has children. We learn about Toph's children and that she has two different baby daddies. Uh, Katara is there. Katara heals everybody. Katara saves Korra's life, technically, healing the Avatar. Um, Their kids are there. We hear all about their kids. All their kids do a ton of stuff. Zuko. Zuko shows up several times. She's riding a dragon. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We meet his grandson. Super cool. Awesome big deals. And then Sokka shows up in, like, one episode with one minute of a flashback. We know nothing about what became of him, like, what happened, who he married, did he marry, did he have kids, blah, 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 blah. All these things, it's literally just one scene 
flashback that he shows up in. They mention him maybe one more time. I mean, I know at least one more time. She's like, oh, Sokka's gone. That's all they did for Sokka. And that was just, that was uh, yeah. cold. I agree, and I don't that, understand it. Iroh got more play than he did as well. Iroh did. Okay, and I'm going to say this, and you might not like it, and other people might not like it, because we did say we appreciated that they didn't downplay Sokka for being a non-vendor. But all of the kids that we've seen, all vendors. So Sokka, yes. if he had kids, they wouldn't be vendors because he was not a vendor. Supposing it works hereditarily, which I think it does. I don't know for sure. Seems like it. For sure. But so did they just decide that Sokka's family was like not important enough for us to follow because they were just yeah. common people? I don't know. And even, like. if, and even if he he decided to, to live a low-key life, you know what I mean? Like he... He came in for really big things and then decided to just have a family, which I could mm-hmm. totally see Sokka. We, me and you both have talked about that. We we both can see Sokka doing that. But it's also weird that yeah. Katara, because Katara and Sokka were brother and sister and they had a really good relationship with each other. They were very important to one another because mm-hmm. their mother died and then her the father went off to fight in wars all the time. And so really it was just them two and their grandmother. Yeah. And so they were a really close-knit family. So even if, like, Katara would mention Sokka every once in a while, I think it would be realistic as well. But it just didn't – it felt like there was an elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room was, where is Sokka? What happened to Sokka? Yeah. Where was his kid? Like, yeah, and especially as one of the most Katara characters. Be, wouldn't Katara be with her nieces and nephews? Wouldn't they be around? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like he was one of the most loved characters, so then not talking about him was like that's what a lot of people were waiting for, I feel like, or wanting out of it, and they never gave it to us, and it's just super weird, and I don't understand it. It If there was one thing that I could ask the creators, I think it would be why did they make that choice? Because they Mm -hmm. could have done really simple, easy things to nod because they nod to pretty much most of the the main characters from the last airbender um mm-hmm. did not do that for Sokka at all no. which is crazy all right so let's get to the comics now the comics are really kind of like the in-between stories of episodes in the last airbender the transition between mm-hmm. the last airbender to Sora. Um, yeah. You do get a lot of backstory of how, especially because when you watch Legend of Korra right after you watch Last Airbender, the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth is, man, the world grew a lot. Because yeah. all of a sudden there's like scrapers, there's technology, there's like all sorts of things. Um, and so it does explain how did they get from zero to 150. Um, and there's definitely a lot of more updates on relationships and things like that as well. Um, and that Aang and Katara won't stop saying sweetie, which is I'm in therapy for now. Um, a lot of people, in the, even the characters in the comics, agree with you. <laughs> um, what are some interesting things that came out from reading the comics? 
Okay. I am going to sound like I'm a Zuko fangirl, which I guess I am, so I can't <laughs> complain too much about okay. it. But mm-hmm. for one, I mean, just both of the comics that heavily feature Zuko are my favorites because they are different stories, whereas I feel like the ones that just follow Aang and his group are very similar. Um, but we learn about what happened to Zuko's mom, which I think is awesome. And we also um, learn a little bit more about the Fire Nation and how Zuko's becoming a leader. And I just think those are really cool things. But another, like, minuscule, maybe little, little tiny thing that we learn is the Kyoshi Warriors are Zuko's private guard for a lot of the comics. And there's a few interesting little, like, snippets there with Suki who is supposed to be Sokka's girlfriend, or is Sokka's girlfriend at the time, dealing with Zuko. And it opens up a whole other world of like, yes, I am a Zutara shipper. I have this whole world where Zuko and Katara end up together and they're perfect. But now, what about (laughs) Suki? Could Suki and Zuko actually end up together? And it's just very interesting to me, and it just, like, makes me, I don't know. Like I said, I don't like the relationship stuff, but I guess I kind of do if it's good relationships. It, it was interesting, because, like, e- either they could just be friends. They could just be really good friends. Didn't feel like I've it. Never didn't had, feel like it. I've, Suki and Zuko never really had even moments in the TV show. Like They, they had were all one episode where they escaped from the prison. Yes, but I def but it, yeah. again, it was very action packed. It was not mm-hmm. a friendship bonding. There wasn't a lot of like dynamic things in the show that would even make me think that Suki and Zuko would become really good friends outside of Sokka. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like it definitely opened my eyes to this fact that they did develop a friendship. And I remember reading it and and saying to you, Megan. Um, I don't know how I feel about it because it's like it feels weird, but also not weird. And so it, it was just interesting whether yeah. it's romantic or not. It, it it was an interesting look into um, this blossoming friendship between Zuko and Suki. Um, that reaction is what makes me know things are good. When I'm like, I've never yeah. thought of this, but instantly I don't hate it. <laughs> That's how I know something's awesome. But it's also a little odd. Um, <laughs> yes. Also in the comic, and this is a point that you made, Megan, earlier, which was that Toph becomes the new confronter of Aang. Because Toph and Aang pretty much get into a fight every comic, every, it feels like. That's what I'm saying. All of their comics seem very similar. But, yeah, it's basically... Aang doesn't want to do something, and Toph wants him to do something, and they fight about it. And then there's a resolvement at the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it definitely it it definitely feels a little repetitive for sure. Um, but I'm glad that we read it because it did give us some good background story for especially Zuko's mom, um, and open up the door to some yeah. possibilities that I would have ever thought of. So. The Korra comic was really becoming the president on board with it love it there were some things i really loved about the comics so i was very glad that i finally sat down and read them um but then there were some annoying things but that's everything and our next goal is the uh the not the the novel 
the novels. Yeah, that's got to get my hands on. Next- um, as for the overall world, we know that these av- avatars exist in life cycles and then is reborn into mm-hmm. another life. And we've gotten glimpses on several of them, not all of them by any means, but some of them. So which mm-hmm. avatars impressed you the most, um, at least for the ones that we know about? Okay, so going back into um, reading the novels, there is a novel about Kiyoshi, and I'm very interested in that because Kiyoshi is my favorite avatar by far. Um, of the two, Korra over Aang. But I also had a thought while we were doing this, and so I want to bring this up. I also like the first avatar, Juan. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. And so he might actually even top Kiyoshi for me, and this is not in our outline, guys. <laughs> Random thought, but Juan was awesome. Also, he was a firebender, but, you know, he was a firebender. The firebender started the avatar cycle, but, you know, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the other question that I was thinking about is, do you wish that the show would have continued with another avatar? And I agree with you 100% about Kiyoshi. Um, For me, I know that, I personally would love to fill in the blanks of what I don't know because there's so many folklore, there's so many avatars that need exploring, um, and there's so many really good stories about the beginnings that I feel like would be maybe more interesting than to see how the world progresses forward. Um, Yeah, because even out of the ones we know, I mean, there's like maybe one, two, three, four, five, six or seven that we don't know the names of mm-hmm. and we don't know a whole ton about any of them either so yeah I totally then, agree with you I would yeah and then the, ba- the background of how did these nations come to be why were they so different in styles how did the fire mm-hmm. the, how did the earth kingdom even become a kingdom like there's so many good stories right that can be fulfilled and and kind of filled in that I think could be super interesting to get. Uh, I personally would like, sorry, I want an avatar who fails. I would like that a lot. Interesting. That would be cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. We do have a couple of questions that uh, listeners sent in to me. Uh, The first one is more of a clarification um, that we can answer. Um, which is when do airbenders get their tattoos and what do they symbolize? I've only seen Avatar and only a little bit of Korra, but I've always been curious. So I'm going to take this from you. I don't know if you wanted it, but I'm going to take it anyway. Um, Airbenders get their tattoos when they become masters of airbending as an element. Um, Aang was super young when he got his tattoos. They don't usually get them that young. Um, They usually got them much older, but they were putting Aang on the speedy route because he needed to start becoming what he needed to be because the war was just getting so bad. Um, So that's when they get them. As for what they symbolize, they're paying homage to the flying bison, which were the original airbenders who taught humans how to airbend and they have those same markings on their fur so that is what the air nomads are doing they're respecting um the original 
agree. Because that is the truth. So there's really no reason to agree. <laughs> I agree with the truth. Okay. Uh, and then on to the second uh, question that was sent in. What is your favorite season out of The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra? One for each. I love how strict she is being. Mm-hmm. Don't give me more than one. She apparently knows me. Um, so for she actually doesn't. Um, but for me, um, for the last Airbender, I would say season three for sure. Um, the reason being, it just it's it just I feel like the writing is better. And like I said, when I was when I was saying that in the first season, the dynamic between the three characters of Sokka, Katara, um, and Aang, it was good. But just wasn't there. And then Toph was added and it got even better. And then mm-hmm. in the third season, Suzuko joins the gang and it gets perfect. Um, and I feel like that whole season with Zuko finding himself and taking a risk to go to Aang um, to, to help him. And then that dynamic that forms and with the conclusion of the series, I just feel like it was beautifully shot for an animated like I like I know cinematography doesn't really exist in an animated series but the cinematography was beautiful in the third season um it's the color the art, choices, but yeah the, it, it was just beautifully drawn and I feel like the colors the characterization and the arcs that were all coming together just made it a really good season I don't have anything to add that was perfect because you don't, you can't. There's no need to agree with the truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for for Legend of Korra, I was torn between two, but I decided to we go with season three on this one. Mm-hmm. We did. Um, for uh, I said season one, and I think the reason I picked like season one is because it did have a very cohesive plot. Like it, there was a clear rhythm to it that really made sense and it was just really fun to watch and learn about uh, this new version of this world that I was introduced to uh, in The Last Airbender and so I just for the cohesiveness alone I think season one edges out and pro bending pro mm-hmm. bending's in season one so that is a big plus for season one but I did not say season one I said season three. Season three is the season where we have Zaheer as the bad guy. Um, And I think the character development overall for all of them was Mm -hmm. the best in season three. I don't disagree. Because, I mean, it didn't didn't include as much of the um, relationship drama as the previous two seasons did so that was great but also this was also the season which and I said one of my favorite plot pieces was the people becoming air um, vendors and creating the whole new air nation again and introduction to some awesome characters um, Opal who is related to his top granddaughter and her whole family is really interesting and then there's Kai who I absolutely love Denora has a great future love interest I'm super excited for her um, I just think more things happened in season three that excited me than any other seasons, and so that's why I had to pick it. Yeah, for sure. 
That was the one that I was debating against. I was debating season one or season three. So you picked the wrong one, okay. Okay. Slow <laughs> down, killer. Opinions. Um, Who needs opinions? Um, but yeah, so overall, I'm really glad that we did the rewatch uh, because I think it, I really do think that there is a place with these stories, both The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra for right now. Um, yes. And I, I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. I'm going to interrupt you. PSA, please don't have watched the live action movie and think oh, yeah. that you're not interested in Avatar, please. I mean, no, I'm not talking about James Cameron's. I'm talking about <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> please don't have watched M. Night Shyamalan's version of Avatar The Last Airbender with Jackson Rathbone and that guy that you really like. Don't don't watch that and base your like of the world on that movie, please. Actually, please don't watch that movie. At all. No, don't watch it at all. It is not needed, no. And if you please, did listen please. to this confused, and if you did listen to this confused because you thought it was about James Cameron's avatar, I hope that you realize that there's a better avatar that you need to get on there board with. There is a better because... avatar. And the sequels <laughs> have already come out. Yes, it's good. And also, really good things are happening because Netflix is currently working on a live-action version of Last Airbender that will hopefully be better than the movie that A Night Shyamalan gave us. I'm both excited yes, and don't nervous know. about this. Yeah, timelines have changed for that, obviously, right now with the current situation, but super excited for that to happen. But even though timelines have changed, uh, you can watch Avatar The Last Airbender either as a rewatch or if you listen to us and you were super excited you were super stoked to, to try this out um, Avatar The Last Airbender will be on Netflix starting May 15th and Legend of Korra you can watch on Amazon if you get the Nickelodeon subscription it's only $4.99 a month so if you can pay $4.99 for an entire month, binge it and then cancel it, that's pretty cheap to watch a whole four seasons they're currently both on Amazon right now. So honestly, you could do the four ninety nine for a month, and you can watch both of them in that time, especially if you're sitting at home doing nothing. So if you can't sure. wait till May fifteenth, spend the five bucks, binge them on Amazon. Let us know what it is. Think. Totally, totally worth it. All right, so that is questions. all. Let me know if you ship Zutara. For sure, and I imagine because this was more of like a general deep dive, I think we will probably have some more Avatar Last Airbender uh, deep dives of more specific characters and specific things. Yeah. Um, because there's so much to talk about. One. Yeah, oh, 100%. I don't even, I don't even need for that. I can just mute myself and <laughs> just talk. <laughs> I mean, if you want, that's fine. <laughs> Alright, so that is all the time we have for right now. Apparently we did need the full 90 minutes. So we took it. I told you. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want uh, to give us feedback on what to discuss, either for the Nerdy Deep Dives or with any other show, please let us know. Um, you can follow us at TalkNerdy underscore radio on Twitter. Uh, tweet us what you think we should talk about next. Um, also, our lovely guest commentator has an Instagram that I would like for you to follow. Uh, she will be joining me on Nerdy Deep Dives in the future. I am sure of it. Uh, so you can follow her on Instagram at Mego. 
underscore rain. Also, make sure you bookmark www.nerdprobs.com for articles, blogs, and reviews. I am working on something right now, which will hopefully be up by Monday. Uh, We do have more shows coming to you. We're going to be talking books and television on April 27th at 8.30 Eastern Time. Uh, We'll be back for politics for Wednesday, April 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Kristen and Vicki are going to be talking about the Jodi Arias and the murder of Travis Alexander for Talk Murder to Me on May 3rd. And we will be back for a nerdy deep dive soon. As soon as I have details on the subject, I will let you know. Thank you, Megan, for joining us. You are welcome. I enjoyed telling you my opinion. (laughs) Your insight is always, always welcome. And (laughs) I agree with you. Zuko totally should have been with Guitar. I feel like that's a good note. I'm saying. Just saying. Have a great, wonderful rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys soon. All right. Bye, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.